Welcome to the RMBC Life Podcast from Share Cancer Support, dedicated to exploring life with metastatic breast cancer from the perspective of us, the people living with this disease, and the experts who partner with us to help make our lives better. I'm Lisa Laudico, and I'm really glad you're here, since no one should face NBC alone. Welcome to RMBC Life's annual We Remember episode. I'm Natalia Green, senior producer and co-host of RMBC Life. We've invited our listeners to share the names and stories of the people they've loved and who've died from NBC over these past 12 months. Before we get to those stories and names, I'm going to get on an NBC soapbox for a second. Because we're a podcast that focuses on breast cancer and NBC, I think it's our duty to share some statistics about NBC. According to Metaviver.org, 100% of breast cancer deaths occur because of metastases, and almost 100% of people whose breast cancer is metastasized will die from it. In the U.S. alone, that means more than 40,000 lives are lost each year. The popular breast cancer fundraising movements only give... 2 to 5% of their research funds to researching NBC. Instead, their primary focus is on prevention and early detection. And while only 6 to 10% of initial breast cancer are metastatic, 30% of patients diagnosed with early stage breast cancer will eventually develop stage 4 breast cancer and die. This is why our podcast exists. At RNBC Life, we feel privileged to honor those who've passed away due to NBC. And while we honor them by reading their names and sharing their stories, we'll also honor them by bringing awareness and advocacy to NBC issues. Our first remembrance is mine, and it's to my old boss, Lisa Ladico. Even though our first episode of the season was dedicated to our founder who passed away only this August, I wanted to share a remembrance. Lisa was my work mom. What that means is that Lisa was a real boss at work. She was diplomatic, and she cared about representation on our podcast. Not only did she manage an amazing team of talented advocates for NBC, but she brought on a lot of warmth, love, and freedom to our work. She was so focused on nurturing each of us to be the best advocate we could be. She was also very personable and made it a point to get to know each and every one of us. She gave so much good personal advice. She was always staying up to date on my treatment plans and what my scans were like. And she was also an incredible friend. The best compliment Lisa ever gave me was saying that I was a good mother. I will miss Lisa forever. I miss our weekly talks. I miss Lisa's sense of humor. And I miss Lisa's Scorpio energy. Love you, Lisa. Founder and editor-in-chief of Wildfire Magazine, April Stearns, will read a poem written by Lisa Laudico that was published in Wildfire Magazine. Here's April. Abide with me. One. 
The day is nearly spent. A young woman sojourns through an unknown neighborhood, a stranger receiving stares, a foreigner feeling different. She scatters mental breadcrumbs past the Pachenko Hall, all glare and neon with gleaming glass, beyond the man sweeping air at the tea shop under the eye of the bobbing Maniki Nico, through the crimson gate of a Tori Jinja towards another home of worship prayer flags flipping in the breeze. Named for a Jesuit hero, not martyred on these shores centuries ago, she's surprised the church beckons when she no longer believes. A lone pilgrim makes the sign of the cross as he leaves, eyes averted, a soul converted. The cool air scented with incense from an earlier mass hits her nostrils with memories. Her ears catch familiar chords of a hymn at the organist's practice. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. It's a home of sorts, complicated by the faith's disappointments. She mourns the comforts of ritual, of blind trust, of all those youthful stations of the cross. 2. Sitting in St. Peter's, always on the right side near the lectern, the sun animates the purple and red of the stained glass. Sometimes she reads her lives of the saints, all brutal and brave, her childhood video game. She held her Nana's hand, rubbing the blue veins winding over the fragile bird-like bones, back and forth. The blood swooshing past the indentation, a life intimate and close. The old woman's veins were flowing, the church still growing. Three. Her insides are unraveling now, slowly, tentatively, curdling under the weight of too many scans, unknown mutations, a cancer multiplying. Abide with me. She asks. She dreams of that church in Tokyo and her Nana's hands. Four. Thou on my head in early youth didst smile, and though rebellious and perverse, meanwhile, thou hast not left me oft as I left thee. On to the close, O Lord, abide with me. The long winter covered four seasons and now spits out icy blasts of pain. Regina, Pam, Erica, Melody. She knew it was all coming. She's been in this raft for a while. A silver lining here, a sunrise there. Platitudes whistling past the graveyard. Will you abide with me? At funerals, She is an exotic bird walking amongst the living, stylish hair and delicate makeup deceiving, achieving an illusion of health and well-being. It's weird to be a talisman for their grief, mothers burying daughters, husbands eulogizing young wives. Do not be afraid, her eyes say. You will not catch it. When the brave ones come to touch and thank us for our service, They wonder if this is what it looks like 
to be dying. Our eyes draw down in shame for we know there are more bodies to be buried and friends who won't make it back. Battle language unwon. Instead, she thinks of the goldenrod wall behind her friend's gorgeous, love-filled face as it beams out like the sun. This is what she holds. This is what she can abide. In memory of Lisa, who passed away from metastatic breast cancer on August 6, 2022, Lisa's poem, Abide With Me, was originally published in the MBC Survivorship issue of Wildfire Magazine, October 2021. Prior to that, Lisa performed this poem for the first time at the Naked Poets live event in May 2021. She would like you to know the poem references the Christian hymn, Abide With Me, written in 1847 by Henry Francis Light. Our next guest is Abigail Johnston. She's a longtime friend of the podcast, and like us, Abigail has been living with MBC and has been since 2017. She's well known for her policy and legislation advocacy in the breast cancer community and for being a blogger and for being a founder of a support group called The Healing Circle. Abigail shares her remembrance of those in The Healing Circle that have died because of MBC. She also shares a recent blog post called Living with Loss. Here's Abigail. About a year ago, actually about 18 months ago, Eileen Kaminsky asked me to be part of a healing circle. Now, I was not super excited about the concept, but because of the other people in the circle, I agreed to be part of it. And last October, almost a year ago now, we actually met in person. And we didn't know how sick so many of the people in the group already were. Because of the six people in that healing circle, we've got three left. We lost Lori Burwell before we actually finished the time together. She had been in the hospital and it was a very dire situation, which we didn't even know how bad it was until... We we learned that she had passed. We lost Eileen Kaminsky after that time and Christy as well. They were dear friends and bloggers and advocates and just pretty amazing people living with NBC. We were six and now we are three. And Victoria and Liesl and I continue to get together, continue to remember our dear friends that we have lost and continue to celebrate the connections that we had made to one another. But the world is poorer for the loss of these three amazing women, Lori, Christy, and Eileen. Here's a recent blog post that I wrote. I called it Living with Loss. As I sat down to write today about what has been weighing heavily on my heart, I went back through previous posts, as I usually do, to see what or if I've written on the topic previously. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised that this is a topic I've written about quite a bit since my diagnosis with stage 4 metastatic breast cancer in 2017. I've never been part of a community before where so many die on a regular basis. Some of those people who have died have been dearer friends to me than those I've known for decades. It's hard to explain how meaningful these connections are with people I've often never met in real life. 
When an initial conversation with a person you've never actually met covers living and death and everything in between, the intensity breeds intimacy on a level I've rarely experienced. A dear friend also living with MBC was recently hospitalized, and as it often is with us in this community, the reason was pretty serious. As with so many I know, her circumstances have a lot of similarity to mine. And it's impossible not to be significantly affected in a situation like this. The night she told me she'd been hospitalized, I told my husband that I was afraid to go to sleep. I was so afraid that I'd miss an important or possibly a last text. I was so afraid I would wake up to the worst news that she'd died overnight. Now I do realize intellectually that me staying awake had and has nothing to do with my friend's health or anybody else's, but I think it's a good example of what we carry for and on behalf of each other. My friend is home now, and while some of her symptoms still remain a bit of a mystery, there is a plan to address them. As I mused over this situation and my own reaction to it, I was reminded of a poem that Anya Silver wrote. It usually takes a person immersed in this living while dying thing to articulate clearly how it feels. I was privileged to read her poetry in the play For Our Lives, which I've written about before and which has been highlighted on this podcast too. So the poem is called Stage Four. Suddenly, gloved hands empty the rooms of my house and I'm told to take only what I can carry. Faces turn away from me. I'm taboo now. The boat I'm set inside is crowded with others like me. They come from their own cities. Cautiously, we take each other's hands and trade stories. We learn of the lucky few who return, who are able to cross back over, and in time their shame comes to be known as victory. We use words that once embarrassed us, courage, prayer, miracle. And always we long for our old homes. We draw scarves over our faces when we weep, singing the songs of our ancestors. In this exile, no pillar of dust and fire guides us. Our passports have been stamped. Our wrists and collarbones have been marked. Even when the old promises begin to fall away, when we see less clearly the gardens of our former lands, still we are together, friends. And we know what our beloveds do not yet know. We can see through each other to the lapping silence beyond the Milky Way. Those last few lines of the poem resonate so deeply with me. There's an instantaneous understanding amongst us in the community as we see others fade from this life. Every loss hurts like the Dickens, and I am moved to tears on a regular basis. At the same time, we have to get pretty good at carrying these losses if we want to continue to engage with our community. But is that even something we can get good at? Kelly Grosslegs, a grief therapist who is the beauty and brains behind conversations with Kelly, which you should all be following on social media, shared with a group I was in recently that she looks for reminders each day that this life is not the end. In that group, we talked about an experience where someone else had, where she listened to the nudging of her intuition, or perhaps it was the soul of a dear friend who had recently died. Regardless, these motions of connection, of beauty, of love, and soul healing in the midst of loss are beyond price. And I hope I can pay attention to that even more. I will end with a quote from a book I've been reading. It's called The Edge of Wonder by Victoria Erickson, who I think I could be best friends with if only we met in real life instead of me just following or stalking her on social media and loving everything she shares. Her quote is, A shattered heart mends, but it is stretched. The stretching creates room for even more love. In fact, the loveliest people are the ones who have been burnt and broken and torn at the seams, 
yet still send their open hearts into the world to mend with love again and again. You need to feel your life while you're in it. So despite our hearts having been shattered over and over, we continue to send our hearts into the world over and over to mend with love those who are carrying the same losses that bring us to our knees, coughing. Here's a submission from Anna Maddox, remembering Lori Burwell. Today is October 15th, and one year ago I was attending the memorial service for Lori Burwell, stolen from us by MBC. My name is Anna, and I initially met Lori on Twitter. I was fortunate enough to live close enough to her to have actually met her in person and spent some time with her, enjoying trips to the museums in D.C., and other activities. Lori was energetic, creative, athletic, supportive, and kind. She was a true leader. Lori was a remarkable person, and her untimely death has left a deep wound that will ooze grief for decades. I am grateful for the years I was able to call her my friend, and I thank you for the opportunity to say a few words about her today. I know many of you knew Lori and have wonderful memories to share and just kind and warm feelings about her and just the force that she was and everything that she added to our lives. I just miss her so much. Thank you for giving me this chance to remember her today. Love you, Lori. We are very lucky and privileged to have our names read by the Share NBC group in New York City. They volunteered to read our remembrance names. Here are the first submissions. Christy Consor, Eileen Kaminsky, Joy Genret, Danielle Thurston, Nicole Godden Neal, Brenda Levin, Chelsea Betts, Cindy Segala, Andra Colnins, Olivia Newton John, Lara McGregor, Rosalind Weston. I have so many happy memories of my sister, Christy. We had a lot of fun growing up together. We liked to perform songs and skits for our grandma and our cousins until they thought we were crazy. I remember running around grandma's dining room table, singing Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat, until we almost peed our pants. In high school, we made funny videos based on characters that Christy would create. She always had a flair for the theatrical, which carried into her teaching and taking on different identities for characters and reading stories with her students. We did a lot of traveling together, starting with family vacations and then traveling as adults in college and beyond throughout much of Europe. 
Chris was always much more adventurous than me. She was the first to jump off the high dive at the swimming pool. So then I had to do that too. (laughs) I can't remember where we were on one childhood vacation, but we were hiking and there was a scary suspension bridge that she was determined to walk across. Our parents were there, but they were not privy to her scheme. So it was up to me to physically wrestle her down to prevent her from crossing it. (laughs) I'm sure I did the right thing there. She was not happy about it, but (laughs) that bridge did not look safe. (laughs) I was always the bossy big sister. (laughs) My first memory of life was the day that we brought her home from the hospital. I remember waiting in the car with my grandma and my parents brought her out in her little yellow pajama suit. She was all red-faced. Then we got home, and I was quite sure that I carried her from the car and up the steps into the house, even though I was only two years old. Sometime in my 30s, I said to our mom, I can't believe you had me carry her into the house. (laughs) Mom laughed and said that we never would have done that. And of course, thinking about it as a rational adult... I came to realize that that probably didn't happen, but I felt like it did because I was the big sister and I had to protect her. (laughs) When our parents used to pose us for Christmas photos back when she was a baby, I remember them propping her up next to me so she wouldn't fall over because she couldn't sit up yet, but she was taking care of herself soon enough. People who knew Christy will remember that she was always fiercely independent and quite private. In her adult life, I think Chris showed more of her funny, witty side to her friends and was always more serious with her family. I think she thought that I would poke fun of her, which I did, especially in our teen years. But she learned to poke back, and as her cancer progressed, one of the few things that could get her laughing was making fun of me. (laughs) So I was happy to oblige. And God knows that there was plenty of material to work with. One winter, I had broken my ankle slipping on the ice and I couldn't drive. So she had to drive me to work. She was still teaching at the time. And I also needed help getting in and out of the shower, which she was not particularly happy about and would only do that every other night. I used to tease her, tonight's bath night. Later that winter, I developed sharp pains in my side, which I was certain was my gallbladder. My doctor told me to prepare for surgery, and Chris drove me to the hospital for a scan. Much to my relief, it turned out that I was only constipated due to inactivity from my broken ankle. I remember Chris wheeling me out through the hospital lobby in a wheelchair, declaring, We always knew you were full of crap. Now we have medical proof. (laughs) We laughed so hard at that one. That was one of her best lines. Christy's positive, life-affirming attitude inspired everyone that she met. I know she was a great source of strength and made a great impact on so many people. Shortly after she passed, our family doctor called me and told me she was one of the bravest people he knew but he didn't have to tell me. She lived a life of determination and not letting her fears conquer her. I loved her very much and miss her every day. God bless you, Christy. Susie 
Kavastak Volra, Beth Gentner, Heidi J. Dirks Kraus, Jane Rzuski, Nola Adante, Kim Hunter, Justine Oxman Engels, Jess Beard, Lakeisha Jackson Gordon, Carrie Reardon McAdam, Siobhan Morell. Here's a remembrance for Eileen Kaminsky, given by Rudy Fishman. I was fortunate enough to become friendly with Eileen Kaminsky probably about a year and a half to two years before she passed away. And in that time, she very much became kind of like my cancer sister. We chatted through text, email, and Zoom, FaceTime, fairly often, at least a few times a week, and got to know each other pretty well. And one thing that was really uh, remarkable about her that I was in is she always seemed to worry a lot more about me, even when she was having troubles with like chronic parents and tesis, the, the draining stuff that she had to get done all the time. She was always talking about making plans to come visit and making plans to visit other people. She was always thinking of other people, even if she didn't always act on it. She always was always trying to do whatever she can to help and support others however she could. She would send me care packages. It's really weird, too, because I actually spoke to her on the day that she passed away. She was in the hospital and was getting ready to come home. But even then, she was more worried about me than she was herself. And I think it just says a lot about her and her character. She was a great influence to me, not just cancer, but then also just creatively and all that. Like, very much lived, she lived the life that she talked about in that. She was using her crappy situation to inspire and motivate herself to keep working on her writing craft. And in turn, that I'm sure inspired far more people than just me. Those are really the big things that come to mind when I think of Eileen, though. Tammy Deezer Grocer, Delilah Talbot. Kimberly Lopez, Maxine Middleton, Ruth David, Laura Cassetta, Sophie Holland, Amy Alice Owen, Terry Wolfram, Courtney Defner, Erin Weinstein. The next person we'll listen to is Silka Fluger. She tells us how she remembered people she's lost due to cancer at the 2022's Burning Man Festival. Here's Silka. Hi guys, this is Silka. I was told by Abigail that you guys are doing a piece on the people that we lost in the last year. So she encouraged me to share something about Burning Man that I did. So it was the first time that we had Burning Man in three years. The thing that people don't know about Burning Man, it's not like a festival. It has a lot of spirituality with it. And the part of Burning Man, of the physical Burning Man that probably shows it the most is the temple. It's typically the largest structure on the playa. 
And it gets burned the day after the man. So it's the absolutely very last thing that happens before it ends. And people put memories of their loved ones in there or just apologies to somebody they have wronged. But to me, it's so much about the people we lost. So... I had donated to the temple, to the building of the temple, and I had this flag, and I didn't know what to do with it since I first received it two years ago. And then it came to me. It's all about the people we lost. So I went on Twitter and I asked people to share who they lost to cancer since the last Burning Man three years ago. And it was, so it's more people with breast cancer, but there's some others in there as well. I'll just start reading the names until I run out of time. Mel, Laurie, Gina, Liz, Katie, Michael, Kajo, Shawanti, Margaret, Sandra, Judy, Charlotte, Caitlin, Andra. <laughs> this is hard. Stephanie, Catherine, Deborah, Amanda, Yuli, Olivia, Lisa, Karen. Suzanne, Victoria, another Laurie who was so awesome, Caitlin, Marina, Olivia, Judy, Devona, Ruth, Jill, Carrie, Kaiko, Candice, Irma, Angela, Maggie, Dorothy, Christy. So we went to the temple with a friend who had lost his mom to brain cancer just this year. And we found a place where we could hang the flag and it was actually near a big piece of cardboard or wood perhaps it was wood or tarp where it said fuck cancer and the names of so many more people it all went up there and it was burned the Sunday before Labor Day and it's supposed to bring closure. Okay. Take care, all of you. Love each other. And yeah, do with it what you want. Bye. Rhonda Howell, Melanie Masterson, Susan Swanson, Jillian Beth, Tori Geib. Morgan Blum, Catherine Kate Petridis, Tiffany 
Jackson. Linda Manquez de Dolazen. Angela Adams. Nailey Augustin. Dorothy Devine. The next remembrance will be given by our co-host here at RNBC Life, Paula Jane. Here's Paula. Hi, I'm Paula Jane, and this is my memory of Andra Kulnins. Andra and I met through the LBBC Hear My Voice Advocate class of 2021. We were in several small breakout groups together, and when she asked if I wanted to stay in touch, I gave an enthusiastic yes. We never met in person. I never got to hug her or bring her soup or know what she was like before NBC, but she will honestly live in my heart until I die. We talked for hours on the phone. It's hard to explain what Andra meant to me, but maybe I don't need to to other metastatic folks. She just got it. She was a former nurse and a spiritual superhero. To me, Andra was grounded and wise. She loved life and was curious and so incredibly kind. I have physical memories of our conversations. That's how pivotal they were to me. I remember walking in circles around my driveway one day, pine straw and small tree roots pushing up against my feet, crying and smiling because our conversations were so intimate. We talked honestly about how it was for her, a triple negative person, to be friends with me, a triple positive person. We both knew it was highly likely that she was going to watch my cancer be at least temporarily stable and respond to treatment as her cancer defeated inadequate treatment after inadequate treatment. And we both knew it was highly likely that I was going to watch her die. And that's exactly what happened. I remember the sound of her voice when she told me, I don't want to die. And the grief she felt about not getting to be there longer for her young son. I was at the beach when we talked about the very poor care she received at the ER as her health started to deteriorate and how, as a nurse, that was a deeper sadness and frustration for her. I was sitting on my chase lounge, rock hard to protect my own deteriorating spine, during one of our last conversations when I asked her, when you were a little girl, did you ever imagine that one day you'd be in your 40s, researching hospices together with a friend because you're both going to need them, and that in the midst of that, your friendship would bring such sweetness. And we cried together because it truly was both. Having a friend to stand next to in that alone, dark place of facing your own death is such an unexpected kindness in this world. But the grief when they are gone before you is tremendous. I chance the vulnerability to say all of this because my friendship with Andra, while infinitely precious to me, is not unique. It's replicated so often in all the names listed here by people who weren't in a place where they could articulate the immensity of loss because they've lost so many others. Andra, our friendship changed my life for the better and you are remembered and so very loved. Your memory is most definitely a blessing to me and to so many others. Thank you, dear friend. During the first season of the Our NBC Life podcast, Lisa Laudico interviewed an early-stage breast cancer and NBC advocate Kate Petridis. In that interview, Kate opened up about her disease and how she was approaching her diagnosis. And the lifespan, that was not what she expected it to be. Lisa began her interview with a short biography of Kate. 
of 25, Kate was diagnosed with early-stage triple-positive breast cancer. For four and a half years, Kate had no evidence of disease as she slowly tried to rebuild and recover from the impact of a cancer diagnosis. In May 2018, while honeymooning, she fell ill and shortly thereafter was diagnosed with MBC. Since her diagnosis, she has been involved in advocacy efforts by using her voice to educate others on MBC and advocate for increased attention and research funding for this insidious disease. I'm proud of the way that I have approached my diagnosis and the fact that my lifespan is not going to be even close to what I expected it to be. Realizing that I have very limited time has helped me almost understand the beauty of everyday life and those relationships that need working on. And just kind of coming to terms with things that I was holding on to and felt guilt and remorse about and needed to just get off my chest and make peace with it. And that has been really, really helpful for me. I think speaking to other metastatic breast cancer patients about this topic has also been helpful to hear their ideas and how they're approaching their own early, what is most likely going to be an early mortality. Kate died peacefully on September 27, 2022, at the age of 35. In preparing for this podcast, I started reading a bunch of poetry online about death and grief and how we can remember loved ones. And one of the first poems I came across really has stuck with me, and I'd like to share it with you. It's called She Is Gone by David Harkins. You can shed tears that she is gone, or you can smile because she has lived. You can close your eyes and pray that she'll come back, or you can open your eyes and see all she's left. Your heart can be empty because you can't see her, or you can be full of the love you shared. You could turn your back on tomorrow and live yesterday, or you can be happy for tomorrow because of yesterday. You can remember her only, that she is gone, or you can cherish her memory and let it live on. You can cry and close your mind, be empty and turn your back, or you can do what she'd want, smile open your eyes, love, and go on. We dedicate this episode to the 116 people who die every day of MBC. We remember you and love you. This podcast is produced by me, Natalia Green. Our We Remember episode is pulled together by the entire team at our MBC Life and our beloved listeners. We want to give out a special thank you to the Share Cancer Support Group in New York who read the names for the We Remember episode. We also want to say thank you to everyone who submitted a name, a memory, or a remembrance. To edit this podcast, I was helped by Connor Kinsley, who is our expert sound designer and provided original music. 
Our executive producer is Christine Benjamin, Vice President of Patient Support and Education at Share Cancer Support. You can find more episodes of RMBC Life wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Check out our blog and full episode notes at our website at rmbclife.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RMBC Life. And we can continue this discussion at our new Facebook group, RMBC Life. Please make sure to join. Music